And this is one of the reasons they sent him down to the AHL last year to basically get him to play with a little more confidence. Like, hey, you're a good player. You have to make plays. Because I think there's been a feeling with him, and maybe this came from his experience over in Russia in the KHL and then transferred over to Vancouver in the NHL where I'm a young guy. I don't want to make any mistakes, mm-hmm. right? But at some point, you have to get past that feeling of, I don't want to make any mistakes, so I'm going to dump the puck in. Uh, I'm not going to turn it over the blue line. I'm not going to. I'm not going to dangle, try and dangle through the other team like Nils does over here and gets in trouble all the time. Yeah. So I'm going to make the smart move, but then you aren't making plays. Then you aren't doing anything positive, and that's what I see from Pod Colson right now. I see a complete inability to make anything happen. You know what it reminds me of? Actually, you remember when we were watching the Seahawks in Week One, mm-hmm. and I was like, "Is anyone on this defense gonna?" Going to make an actual play here? Right. Like just it's kind of out there. The, the word is toothless. Like, what, right now, what is, if you, if you were to say, like, what is, what is the thing that makes you believe in Pod Colson? What is the one thing that he does well? You're kind of like, I'm going to hang my hat on that. Like with Ulevi, it was, it was like, he makes a good breakout pass, right? Yeah. His first pass is great. And anytime he made any sort of outlet pass, people were like, see, bruh, you're wrong about Ulevi. He's a great player. Okay. Yeah. Uh, what does Pot Colson do? Not, not much. And he's probably going to be in the American League. I think that's a big deal, man. He's the 10th overall pick. But it's nothing new. If, if I, am, I, am I missing something? Am I, did anything? It sh- was supposed to be. But when is? But when is he? Sh- it's when has he showed anything recently? It wasn't in training no, camp. I, it wasn't last night. It wasn't last season. No, I, I know. But we're updating the. We're updating what people had hoped for to see this season. Right. The, the whole thing with with both Pod Colson and Hoaglander was like okay. They needed to go down to the AHL and play some games down there, yeah. right? Find their confidence, turn into better players. They each had different things to work on. Hoaglander, it was the details of the game. Pod Colson, it was like, hey, don't forget, you're a pretty good player, so go make some plays there, right? Yeah. So we, we go through this long offseason. Everyone's like, get in shape, get in shape, right? And then, like, we're allowed to react to what we've seen. Right. right? We, we can't just be like, well, that's what we saw last season, Right. But I mean, we, we can. Saw, but it's what we. But you, you said it. it's what we saw for training camp from him as well. Like the fact that he. Yeah, went but in, I'm having a reaction to that right now. I'm not impressed. Yeah, well, neither am I. I. There was nothing good from last night in that game, from the Canucks' perspective. Was there? Has anyone got a positive takeaway? Because we polled people in the Dunbar Lumber text message in basket. No, and I think every single, actually, ninety percent of the players involved in that game should be assigned to the AHL as punishment. <laughs> they probably, well, they will, probably be. will be. That's the joke. I, yeah. No, but that no, but that's that's it, right? It was an AHL team playing two thirds of an NHL team. But the, the thing is, like we've been we've been um, in a lot. Of, there, there's been some positive press for some of these young players. Here's another one. So I stopped picking on poor Vasily Podkolzin. Jet Wu got a lot of love from the organization at the end of last season. And a lot of people were like, oh, maybe this guy is just a late bloomer. He was a second-round pick, and then he plateaued. And for me, I was kind of like, oh, I totally forgot about Jet Wu. Mm-hmm. So when guys from the Canucks like Ryan Johnson would come on and say, um, you know, Jet has really impressed us, right? Mm-hmm. Jet Wu was terrible last night. He was a minus five on the night, That's and he deserved it. And line. he deserved it, right? <laughs> it, it, was, yeah. it was pretty bad. I see nothing from... Klamovich. 
Like he is not, I don't, you know, like, and people are going to be saying, bro, if you're writing all these guys off, I'm like, yeah, but someone's got to be able to do this. Right. So everyone, there are a lot of people out there that when it comes to the prospects they're they will hold on to hope until they're basically out of the organization and go, well, I guess they didn't work out after all. I'll, right? I'll say this. You know? yeah, yeah. Like it, from a cutting bait perspective, I think people need to be a little bit more cutthroat and a little totally. bit more ruthless with it. Totally. Like, like you got to understand, like it's a churn. That's why they have a Aren't draft. we trying to set a better, aren't we trying to set a higher bar here in Vancouver? Isn't that yes. like the whole idea? Yes. So if you if, if that's your takeaway from last night, then I guess I got time for it. Can I make right? Canucks fans feel a little bit better about the results? Yes, Greg. The San Jose Sharks last year. Yes. Not a good team, right? Very bad. They were 4-0 and in the preseason. They capped it. <laughs> they capped it. With a seven to three win over the Vegas Golden Knights. So, and how did the season go for them? No, but I, I don't think anyone like is seriously looking at. Nobody's last night. saying yeah. that the preseason matters in terms. You're just of looking wins for some takeaways. But, but take a deep breath, relax. But no, God, I like we are officially back when people are saying to relax. Right? We're talking. We're talking. No, nobody's panicking. Nobody's panicking. I'm but. If you went into the if you went into last night's game and you were like, you know what? Okay, these guys have an opportunity to show something now. Let's see what Pod Colson. Let's see if there's any difference from last season to this season. Let's see if the positive press about Jet Wu was worth anything. Mm-hmm. The only guy that I think is getting good reviews in terms of the forwards was Atu Ratu. So that's good, right? There's a people a few people uh watching Ratu, they're like I think he's improved his skating. And that was his, that was the task that he was given this offseason. Try and improve your skating. So that's good. So we get to go to Atu Ratu's name and go a little check mark there. That's good. I thought Nils Hoaglander showed what he has the potential to do. And that is to go and disrupt things on the forecheck, get in on the forecheck, and maybe even play with a little bit of greasiness or a little bit of edge. Right? Does he still have some things to work on? Yes, he does. But I would put a little, another little check mark by Nils Hoaglander's name. Mm-hmm. Akita Horosi. A lot of people saying that, uh, you know, he, <laughs> he finished it even he last even, night. He, he didn't. He didn't. We don't know this, if he did or not. We're pretty sure he didn't. Well, but. he did. Well, he didn't because he was on the ice for Noah Juleson's horrific giveaway. Right. And the Canucks didn't score a goal, so he's not going to get that back anywhere, right? The Canucks so, did not score a goal. But he looked, you know, again, I think you can put a little check mark next to Akita Hirose's name, not necessarily for everything for what he did last night, but he had a very good training camp. Like, what do you think the coaches are doing right now? Don't you think Sleeping. they're don't you think they're giving individual assessments of players? Like right. Noah Juleson for his performance last night, they're like, I don't know if we can put him with Quinn Hughes. Yeah, yeah, I think I think that's a hundred percent. Like no one, <laughs> very I shouldn't say no one, but very few people last night showed or earned the right to play with real NHL players when those guys come back into the lineup. That's probably the best way I can say it. Maybe Aturatu, maybe Hoaglander, maybe Hirose. That's three guys. So three guys of a entire AHL roster last night. And, and Suter's going to be on the NHL roster. That's it. So um, we got a text in here. Last night made me wonder about talent in the pipeline. Pretty limited, if you ask me. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I mean, what? Who are, who are you last night looking at and be like, the Canucks have a good young group? Well, like the three guys that I just said that probably earned the right to go play with some NHL players are Hirose, Hoaglander, and Ratu after that. So that's not great. Not great at all. 
Uh, let's talk about the Toronto Blue Jays, shall we? Because I would like to try and move on to games of consequence that actually matter. The Blue Jays, as we pointed out in the break, Laddie, kind of feel like a playoff team right now. It's going to be incredibly difficult for them to ruin what's left in the season. Even if they don't win a single game, they still got a pretty decent chance of going to the playoffs. Thanks in large part to taking two or three from the Rays over the weekend, including a nine, five victory on Sunday punctuated. Yes. Punctuated by George Springer's inside the park room, which he it really tired him out. It plum tuckered him out. So what happens now because of the fact that the Mariners just got swept by the Rangers. And now we need to pay attention to the Houston Astros as well. Cause they just got swept by the Royals. Texas now moves into the AL West lead. And suddenly it's the Jays looking down at the Astros and the Mariners in that race <laughs> for the wild card. But I got a feeling that in large part, because the Jays and I give them a ton of credit because I did not mm-hmm. see it coming after getting swept by the Rangers and everyone saying this team looks terrible and they're not likable and they're flat. They flipped the switch, won a bunch of ball games, had those big series against the Sox and the Yankees. And I've got to give them a ton of credit. They did something over these last three series, which they haven't done all year, and that's win games in the AL East. They hadn't been able to do it all year, and when it mattered, they did it, so they deserve a ton of credit for that. And now it looks like they're going to be a playoff team. Your thoughts after the weekend? You mean you didn't have a ton of confidence in a team that had Ernie Clement out there and Spencer Horowitz batting fourth? (sighs) Spencer Horowitz batting fourth in clutch moments against the Rangers was crazy to me, but... (laughs) You know, they they deserve a lot of credit for what I just said about winning games in the division when they didn't do it all year. The pitching staff deserves a ton of credit because if you told me at the beginning of the year that they were going to be able to have this good a pitching performance with Manoa doing absolutely nothing all year, I would have said you were crazy. And they got help from Buffalo when I didn't think they had anything in the pipeline, like right. nothing really of note. They had guys. Yeah, Buffalo got beaten 10 nothing in the preseason too. So and now look at them, right? So, like, there's, hey, there's optimism. Canucks fans, there's optimism that the farm isn't as bad as you think that it so is. So do you think down in Seattle are going to be like, well, we're more of a football city anyway. Now, Go yeah. Seahawks, go Huskies. Oh, the Kraken are looking good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Season's starting up. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was a rough weekend for the Mariners. I mean, I suppose we should maybe put a little bit uh, more respect on the Rangers, who have now swept the Jays. and then Rangers seem, seem a little up and down. They're a very erratic ball club. <laughs> I don't really know what to make of them. Because like, I, I feel like the way this race has gone... There are still some twists and turns down the stretch. The the Jays, the Jays. If you go to Fangraphs, the Jays have a ninety-eight percent chance of making the playoffs. Right, they would need to collapse massively, Mm -hmm. and that's mostly because all the like the Mariners have seven games left, I think, uh, all against Houston and Texas. Right, so on in any one of those games, a team that the Jays are in a race with. Is going to lose. Even if the Jays go 0 and 6, they still have a 55% yeah, chance. That's the number that really jumps <laughs> that's off, crazy. right? Yeah, we yeah, can yeah. lose our way into the playoffs yeah, here, yeah. boys. Let's go do it. Uh, speaking of the playoffs, kudos and congratulations to the British Columbia Lions who punched their ticket to the playoffs with a 37 to 29 win over the Elks, the pesky Edmonton Elks. We can call them that now with Trey Ford at quarterback, not the perennial loser Edmonton Elks. Uh, it was a Friday night game. Lions did what they had to do. Uh, Vernon Adams, very good. Taquan Mizell, very good. BC goes back to the playoffs. Uh, it's So we've guaranteed that that October 6th game against the Bombers means something now. Correct. And I think yeah, that the be Bombers... Because they're, t- of, they're both teams are 10-4 and four now. Right. And I think... And so I think... 
because of what happened over the weekend with Saskatchewan and the Red Blacks, the uh, the Blue Bombers officially clinched a home playoff date as well. So the the picture is right. starting to come into focus, yeah. right? Now that doesn't mean, yeah, it doesn't mean, but everyone wants to host that West final, right? Exactly. Yeah. And the, the, I mean, the road, although the, the records are pretty similar, I think it's fair to say that the yeah. road to the Grey Cup goes through Winnipeg, right? So mm, could go, I mean, it could go through BC. The Lions could could host that West Final. Mm-hmm. Um, I the Lions are not a perfect team, no, but they're pretty good. Um, my biggest concern is um, Vernon Adams and cutting down the interceptions, cutting down the mistakes. Yeah, because they lost the turnover battle actually to the Elks on the weekend. Yeah, that wasn't great, but they managed to get the win. Well, Adams is frustrated with himself too. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's anyone in the CFL that's thrown more picks than Vernon Adams. If I'm wrong on that, feel free to text in. I would have I, to check the stats. I think yeah. he's also thrown the most pick sixes, right? As well. So I'm just going to uh, load some uh, PDF files from CFL.ca and, <laughs> and see what see what see what the stats are. Through these for about twenty minutes. <laughs> if only there was a way to find the stats. <laughs> the CFL is like an NHL preseason game. There's no, you just kind of guess at what the stats might be. Wrong right? quarterback listed. Like we, we don't. There's no way to accurately know if Akito Hirose was uh, at evens last night or if he was minus one. Oh yeah, we, Ver- Vernon Adams has uh, sixteen picks in fourteen games. Well, now he's throwing twenty. That's loaded pretty quickly. Yeah, they're pretty quick. Nice. Yeah. Uh, and now I've got all these files open though. Uh <laughs> twenty five touchdowns though. So he's been very productive as well. But in these big games, it often comes down to the turnover battle and these little mistakes that you make, and Vernon Adams has to cut them out. Uh, Jake Mayer in Calgary has fifteen touchdowns and fifteen interceptions. So Yikes. But he's got the voice of an angel. Okay. The uh, Stampeders, by the way, are, you know how we were all making fun of Edmonton at the beginning of the season? The Stampeders are a disaster. They're the new Edmonton. They're the new Edmonton, yeah. Edmonton's the old Calgary. Because Edmonton at least has hope now in Trey Ford. Mm -hmm. They're like, well, this is exciting. They might even make the playoffs. Calgary's awful. Yeah. And Calgary, uh, Calgary is getting forgotten in that city, too. That was a really solid CFL market for a long time. Mm-hmm. They've got a crappy stadium, a crappy team. Senor crappy. Yeah. Uh, I do. Calgary crappies. <laughs> Speaking of playoff dates and playoff clinchers for our local squadrons, uh, on Friday we talked to Whitecaps, uh, I'll call him a liaison because I don't remember his full title, to St. Ricketts. And in saying goodbye. <laughs> liaison. He was a liaison. Yeah. In saying goodbye to Toss, I said, Toss, the next time we bring you back on the show, it's going to be to preview a home playoff game for the Vancouver Whitecaps. I shouldn't have said that. The Whitecaps have now lost two matches in a row and have now dropped to seventh in the Western Conference standings after a 2-1 loss to Real Salt Lake in Utah. Sandy, Utah, by the way, specifically, not Salt Lake. Sandy, Utah, on Saturday. Uh, again, This is the longest road swing that the MLS club has ever been on. Seven matches consecutive away from BC Place. So it was probably an inevitability that there was going to be a bobble along the way. But the Whitecaps got off to such a tremendous start and put so many points in the bank and climbed so high in the standings that we allowed ourselves to dream. Dare to dream, Halford and Bruff. Things kind of crashed back in the last two matches. Do we jinx them? Was that Halford and Bruff jinx? Or were they due... To fall back to earth, considering how well this seven-game road trip started. 
they get a chance to finish this thing in style because they're going to the worst team in the West, Colorado, to finish off the seven-game trip. Mm. If they get a win there, the totality and entirety of the seven-match swing will be positive, largely positive, right? All they would have done was drop points, uh, the full three anyway, in these matches in um, Houston and Salt Lake, which is fair because they're good clubs. Mm-hmm. They've still got a chance to... Um, Flip this thing around, and then when. But the thing is, is now when they come back home, beginning September 30th against Wayne Rooney and DC United, they're going to need to get back to the form of okay, dangerous team takes care of business at BC Place, makes BC Place a tough place to play because the turf is crappy and really sticky, and they know how to play on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you're talking about okay, can they finish top four again? Will they be able to have the Again, it's not a one-off if you finish top four and you get the first round of the playoffs. You are the hosts of two of three in a best-of-three series. So there's that as well. Uh, Mike Tannier is going to join us next. He's our NFL expert. Um, we'll talk a little bit about the Seahawks. Well, maybe. I don't know. Uh, that, was a, that, was a, that was a Pete Carroll type of game that the Seahawks had. I have not seen Pete Carroll that happy in a long time in his post-game press conference. He was absolutely beaming. But I don't think... Uh, when you consider all the things that happened in the NFL, the Seahawks were the leading story. I don't know, even know what the leading story was. Maybe the Dolphins' destruction of the Denver Broncos, because that's two interesting stories right there. First of all, Miami looking really good, and Denver just looking horrible. Um, there was a similar story in Kansas City where everyone's talking about Taylor Swift, the Kansas City Chiefs, but the story for me was the Chicago Bears yeah. and how awful they look. There was a, there was there was a lot of excitement in Chicago ahead of this season. They're like Justin Fields finally has weapons. <laughs> now all of a sudden they're like we need a quarterback. Um the Jets need a quarterback. Yes. And I think, you know, I anyone any literally anyone except Zach Wilson. Yeah. I think it's worth a shot. They're imploding. Did you see the sidelines yesterday? Yeah, it's just like Garrett so... Will- star receiver Garrett yeah. Wilson was freaking out. Michael Carter was fighting with the running backs coach. Robert Sala gave a very, very tepid endorsement of Zach Wilson yesterday, in large part because he's the only guy there. He actually shot down the reports about Carson Wentz and or Matt Ryan joining the team to salvage what's left of this scrap heap of an offense. The Arizona Cardinals upset the Dallas Cowboys. The Vikings... Our 0-3 and the Texans are happy with C.J. Stroud. All those stories we can discuss coming up next on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Get your the most opinionated Canucks show out there. Canucks Talk with Jamie Dodd and Thomas Drans. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. on a Monday. Happy Monday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford Bruff in the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are in hour two of the program. Hour two is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. 
Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. Yesterday, awesome day in the National Football League. Tons of storylines. And it's not over yet because we have again for the second consecutive week a Monday Night Football doubleheader at 415. It's the Philadelphia Eagles and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at 5:15. The Los Angeles Rams and the Cincinnati Bengals. Bengals looking to avoid going 0-3 to join that unillustrious group of teams at 0-3 right now, which includes, yes, the Denver Broncos. They were terrible yesterday. There's a lot to get into. Without further ado, let's go to our Monday morning quarterback from the Messenger, our NFL insider, Mike Tannier, here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Good morning, Michael. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm starting to get into this two Monday night game concept. I'm starting to like it. I wasn't sure I was going to enjoy it because of the overlap, but it's actually great. I think that they might have uncovered something here. I don't know how long they're going to continue to do it, but I'm I'm intrigued. And more football (laughs) on more nights of the week to me is a plus. That's a win. The, the overlap is, is the feature, not the bug, because like one more mediocre game is a mediocre game. Two overlapping mediocre games is an event. That's true. You, you can go back and forth. Uh, you can kind of pick and choose. You see something happening in the other game, you can go over. And it feels a little bit like, you know, the Sunday ticket, but it's Monday night. Uh, I want to ask you about maybe the biggest development on Sunday and the biggest question I have in the aftermath. 70 to 20. Was this the Dolphins <laughs> offensive experience? is going into quitzilla mode this is courtesy of the mike tanier twitter feed quitzilla explain to our listeners what that is and if the broncos did pack it in yesterday quitzilla versus tyreek mothra uh, you know quitzilla is what you saw in the second half if you look at that broncos game and of course i'm sort of half tuned out there are close games going on but you look over and you see guys like mostert nate chain you know, running for 25 yards where they're just kind of going up the sidelines and tiptoeing past defenders. And you can see the defenders kind of running past them, slowing up. They've stopped. They have stopped. At the end of that game, the Broncos stopped. And Sean Payton has to figure out how to address that. Like, they were not putting out any kind of real effort in the second half of that game. The first half of that game really was about Tyreek Hill to a tongue of Viola and that Dolphins offense because you don't get to that blowout unless it's 35-13 at halftime. And mm-hmm. that's why I'm kind of stumping a little bit for Tyreek Hill to be taken seriously as an MVP candidate in a world where only quarterbacks are considered as MVP candidates. If you look at what the Dolphins are doing right now, so much of it is built on either Hill getting open against every coverage in the world or defense is having two safeties back in the parking lot because they don't want to get beat by Hill, and that's where you get these 20-yard gash runs. If you look at how the Dolphins are doing things, it is all fueled by Tyreek Hill's excellence. What do you think Sean Payton is thinking about this job that he took? Because Mike and I have a fun little debate going. Um, Mike thinks that Sean Payton will leave Denver before Russell Wilson, and I think that Russell no. Wilson will leave Denver before Sean Payton. Um I guess Mike, once in a while, uh, he likes to have these hot takes, and they never pan out, <laughs> but his hot take is that Sean Payton is just going to quit just gonna on walk the Denver away. Broncos because it, yeah, <laughs> that's, our, that's our hot take horn. Mike, we are not a very yeah. good radio show. But what do you think, what do you think Sean Payton is uh, thinking about this job that he took in Denver? Payton is starring the pot somewhat accidentally on purpose. Payton kind of knows what he's doing. He doesn't Totally, he, he hates losing say, 70 to 20. Let's be real there. He doesn't hate the idea that all of this is bubbling to a head, that like the, that all of these guys who, like starting with Russell Wilson, who might be sacred cows, 
in Denver are no longer sacred cows. He would love to blow up and start over. And one of the ways you can blow up and start over is saying, look at this team. They're losing 70 to 20. Russ is not the answer. We're having debates about wristbands. Some of these other guys on defense that we've been talking about for three or four years are not coming through, et cetera. He wanted, but he has sowed the seeds for this for the entire offseason. And, you know, he's somebody who's going to say, hey, this is, this is the mess I inherited, not the problem I have. Give me the tools that I need to break this down and start over. And that's what he's going to do. Is it fair to suggest that the Russell Wilson trade, even if this isn't all on Russ, okay, as much as I would yeah, like it to yeah. be, as a Seahawks fan, yeah. I would love this to be all Russell Wilson's fault, <laughs> but is it fair to say that the trade really negatively affected whatever culture the Denver Broncos had before he arrived? <laughs> it's interesting. I don't think they had much of a culture. This was a team mm. that was going 7-9 and nine or 7-10 and 10 or whatever for eternity, you know, their culture was, you know, Von Miller and a couple of defensive superstars ran the roost. Uh, they would go out there and get the journeyman quarterback. They get Joe Flacco or somebody, Case Keenum, every year. And that's not a culture. That's like, oh, we have a good defense and, we, and we're happy to, you know, be the, be the Jets or whatever. Uh, so, like, that got replaced with Russell Wilson's sort of uh, hijinks. Um, and, you know, and, and that was bad. And, of course, you also bring in Wilson's money and you bring in, like, the fact that you lose these uh, – these these draft picks that turn into very good players for the Seahawks. So not so much a culture thing, but just you know, be careful what you wish for in 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 the fact that you brought in Wilson Wilson to be the savior. He's not a savior. He's actually contributes to the problem. And now you have Peyton coming in, you know, stirring the pot. So I, I joke about the Broncos. They're not the worst team in the NFL. They're just very very tired. <laughs> Last year was all the, all the Wilson like stuff that. and then the Nathaniel uh, yeah the Nathaniel Hackett stuff yeah. and that's exhausting. Mm-hmm. And now in comes Peyton and he said, "I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to take shots at Aaron Rodgers. I'm going to do all these other things." They're tired, and when it gets to 35-10, they show how tired they are on the field. Uh, we'll move on from this game in a minute, but I did want to ask one other question in the aftermath: Is Miami the best team in the AFC? We're going to find out in six days because we have Dolphins Bills. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So right now, I still rank the Bills ahead of the Dolphins because you know reputation, top to bottom. The Bills beat the snot out of somebody themselves this week. We'll find out in six days. Get your popcorn ready. Uh, Cowboys fans, again, I love your Twitter feed on a Sunday. It's great. I get all these these nuggets that we can use. Uh, Cowboys fans were in freakout mode after their loss to Arizona <laughs> on Sunday. Should they really be in freakout mode? Cowboys fans were in Cowboys fan mode. They're like, oh, it's 2-0. and We just won six straight Super Bowls. Oh, no, here come the Cardinals. We're going to win 56 to nothing. Let's let's place a, bet, a two-touchdown spread. Oh, wait, we're the same Cowboys we've always been. This is a team that sort of rides the narrative a little bit. you got a coach in Mike McCarthy, who is exactly the kind of guy who will let up when the team is doing well. Uh, you know, as a team, they don't always sweat the fundamentals. And they're not good at comebacks in these situations. They 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 press and they stress when they're when they fall behind a bad team. So on the one hand, obviously the Cowboys are going to come back and win a bunch of games this year. That's fine. But in two weeks they get the 49ers. Did the team you saw yesterday have any chance against the San Francisco 49ers? And then if you're losing to the 49ers and you're putting yourself in a position where it's like, oh, you're going to be number four seed in the playoffs. Oh, you might be wild card to the Eagles again. Then what are we even doing here with the Dallas Cowboys? This is a year where they need to win all the games they're supposed to win so they can get you know, a first-round bye or something like that. 
they showed yesterday they're not going to be that team. We are speaking to Mike Tanier, our Monday morning quarterback here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. The Monday morning quarterback is brought to you by the Clayton Public House. Pre-game to post-game, the Clayton Public House is your home of football. Catch all the action on 15 screens and two giant projectors. Uh, visit them at theclaytonpub.com. Uh, Mike, the New York Jets, can they really continue to do this and keep rolling with Zach Wilson, a quarterback? Oh, God. They shouldn't. They couldn't. Yeah, as I joked in, in, in uh, the messenger's walkthrough, uh, they could have just handed off three plays and then just punted. If it didn't work, that would have been better what they did last, uh, yesterday. Yeah. And it's and it's going to bubble up, and it's going to harm Robert Soleil, and it's going to harm Joe Douglas. Uh, it, it's going to harm Nathaniel Hackett, but who cares? As long as Rodgers is there, Hackett is there. And that's the underlying problem with all this. This team is so built for Aaron Rodgers that without Aaron Rodgers, all they can really do is pine for him and wait for him and walk along the widow's walk like like they're waiting for a sailor to come back from sea. <laughs> because it, it, if they try to do anything real, that could irritate Rodgers and that could blow up next year where there's money committed, where there's still draft picks committed. So I don't know the answer. I feel like you should be able to just grab Joe Flacco and say, Joe, hand off, throw a swing pass once in a while. The defense can get nine and eight. But if we keep running the clock on this, then that's not going to happen, and that's not going to get the job done anyway. So it's just an absolutely ugly situation for the Jets. Um, speaking of a mess at quarterback and really organizationally, the Chicago Bears, how big a disaster <laughs> is this right now? Justin Fields does not look like a guy, but in his defense, this feels like a very dysfunctional franchise at a lot of different levels. Um, how big is a mess and the rest of the drama not involving Justin Fields that's enveloping this team right now? Right, and there's some stuff that I don't even want to comment on because sure. we don't know what's happening there. But yeah, that, that defensive coordinator is gone, so that's sort of out of the picture right now. But you're replacing defensive coordinators in week three for a defense that doesn't have a lot of talent to work with. And, oh, you're facing Patrick Mahomes the first time you have to do this. On the offensive side of the ball, you have Fields playing poorly, and you have a system that seems to design to rub his nose in the fact that he's playing poorly. Like, you have the system where you say, we are not going to give you that many design runs. I didn't watch yesterday's game. Maybe he ran a little more design runs. We're not going to give you simple 50-50 shots up the sidelines to DJ Moore or Chase Claypool, whose one thing he's good at is the 50-50 ball. We're, not, we're going to make you run sort of the spider-wide banana John Gruden West Coast offense, and if you can't handle it, that's on you. That's another layer of dysfunction, and that, that speaks to Getsy, and that speaks to Everflows and the organization there. It is just bad top to bottom. And right now, it looks like they're in circle, the wagons mode, with Fields, with the coach, with the coordinator, because I think, and I think the GM you can throw in there, because everyone's, I think if they start throwing each other under the bus, it ends one way, and it always ends this way in Chicago, with everybody getting fired, released, whatever, and, and the team having to start over yet again. Um, of the 0-3 teams currently, there could be another one tonight if the Bengals don't win. You got Kevin O'Connell in Minnesota, Sean Payton in Denver, Matt Eberflus in Chicago, Frank Reich with the Carolina Panthers, who we saw lose to the Seattle Seahawks yesterday. So of the 0-3 teams and their coaches, whose seat is the hottest right now? Eberflus. I think, yeah. again, Payton's going to call the shots there. Uh, O'Connell's the interesting one. I think from a general manager standpoint, uh, the, the Vikings knew who they were this year. Um, the one thing that you can say about O'Connell is that end of game sequence where there's 38 seconds left so on the clock and they spend 30 seconds getting a play in and Justin Jefferson comes running in off the sidelines and Kirk Cousins just kind of points to you, know, you. You don't 
spike the ball so Justin Jefferson can come in and say, hey, what can I do to win this game? I'm Justin Jefferson. I'm your best player. You're like, no, no, let's have a panic attack and throw it to TJ Hawkins. That's bad on O'Connell. But in general, I think the expectations there are we're in a slow rebuild. We're waiting for Cousins' contract to end. We've all got these 30-year-olds on defense. We're waiting for that to go. So they're not looking at O'Connell there. The Bears are definitely looking at Eberflus right now. I mean, that game, if you want to talk about questionable, and that's putting it mildly, questionable decision-making at the end, the Chargers going for it on fourth and one (laughs) so deep in their own zone. Like, I know Brandon Staley loves going for it on fourth down, but there's a reason that they call it chargering, and the Chargers (laughs) almost chargered that thing. Yet, in a weird way, it was like the Vikings outchargered the Chargers. Well, the Vikings vikinged. Yeah, and and then to, yeah. and then yeah. the, the, the best part of the whole thing was the Vikings were like our home crowd was too loud, and I'm like this is just a comedy of errors from both <laughs> from both sides at this point. Like it's amazing how it unfolded, but I don't know if you watched the end of that one, but the whole sequence was hilarious to me because it's two coaches that are very embattled in O'Connell and uh, yeah. Staley, and it was almost like O'Connell managed to take some of the heat off Staley. Yeah, and in Staley's case, it's like oh fourth and short. It's like they're going to miss this. They're going to miss this. And guys are saying after the game, why don't we run the push sneak that the Eagles run? Why don't right. we do this? You know, Justin Herbert's like a 245-pound dude. He can slam his forward. Somebody can give him a little shove forward. Okay, maybe they just paid him a gazillion dollars. They don't want to do that. You, you have to look at your entire operation and say, is this going to work? And the Chargers never really do that. Uh, but, yeah, you know what? The thing about chargering and Vikinging is, is that last year the Vikings would have won that game because they would have gotten a penalty on that last play and Hopkins, they would have gotten bailed out or the ball would have bounced in the air and floated up and KJ Osborne would have caught it in the end zone. And we would have been, what a great team the Vikings were. And it's like, no, the Vikings were a very lucky team that last year. Now they're a very unlucky team and the charges. I just, I don't understand them and I'm tired of thinking about them. And I do think they need a coaching change and they need to also look at some of the guys on that roster who are like 30, 31, 32 years old. And we say, look at this guy. He's a great ball player. Maybe not. Maybe he's gotten a little older. He's taken a step back, and the Chargers are still expecting them to be great. Um, we haven't really touched on the Houston-Jacksonville game, and going into it, I was like, I actually emerged from that game. One is that C.J. Stroud, early days and early returns, but he looks really good, like the best quarterback that's going to come out of this class. And then on the other side of it, I don't know what is going on with Trevor Lawrence and the Jacksonville Jaguars, but they look... <laughs> he off. saw the rest of his draft class, and he, yeah. he was just like, well, <laughs> no good quarterbacks in this draft class anyway. Lawrence looks like he took is taking a step backwards this year. Yeah, okay, so starting with Stroud, this is the first game where he had a little bit of protection and the receivers came through. Uh, in the other games, he always looked bad when he only had a half a second to right. throw and nobody was open. And, of course, all... Quarterbacks look bad in those situations. Rookies have no plan for that, and so so he would struggle. In the fourth quarter, he would look pretty good because the, the, they would call off the dogs a little bit. Now he had some time to throw. He had Tank Dull open a couple of times. He had the lead for much of that game, so there was no forcing passes. It was good for Stroud, very encouraging. Lawrence, everything is going wrong on third down. Like, he's trying to hand off to Travis Etienne on third and two, and they fumble the exchange. Like, that level of stuff. If it's third and four, it becomes third and nine because there is a penalty. Um, and on his part, he's tossing the ball like a half step p- past his receiver a couple times. So, you know, he never looks terrible. It just looks like the entire thing is out of rhythm, out of sync. I think part of that has to look at uh, the supporting cast. I don't know, besides Ridley, who they really have, they can count on Christian Kirk a little, I suppose. I think part of it's Doug Peterson. I'm based in Philly. I saw the 
Eagles win a Super Bowl with Peterson, and I saw 18 and 19 and 20 where they were always out of rhythm, out of sync. The practices were real short. Uh, you know, the days off were frequent. <laughs> start, you start to wonder, maybe you need to be a little bit tighter hand on these guys to get that execution a little tighter. Uh, speaking of the Philadelphia Eagles, they are in the first of the two Monday night games tonight. They are at Tampa Bay. The battle of the 2-0 and teams. Is this the night where Tampa Bay kind of gets exposed as not being a legitimate 2-0 and team? Or is there more to this Baker Mayfield-led team than we think? Not kind of exposed. But brutally exposed. Okay. This is going to be... Yeah, yeah. This Baker Mayfield-led team is Baker Mayfield stumbling around in the pocket, throwing very short passes to Mike Evans, who remains a great player, and Mike Evans stomping around through the Bears' secondary like they're a bunch of Pop Warner kids. This was not. This is not a good offense. It's a decent defense. It's not a strong overall team. The Eagles should roll. I'm sitting there five-point favorites. That is way too low. The Eagles are going to coast tonight. Uh, what about? The Rams and the Bengals. I think this is only a two-point line in this one because, I mean, the Bengals have not looked good at all. And the Rams, like, we saw them in week one uh, come in and put up a pretty good performance on the board against the Seahawks and then weren't terrible last week against the Niners. Uh, I want to get your thoughts on this one because I think maybe when we looked at the schedule in the preseason, we thought this was going to be an easy Bengals victory. But now, again, a two-point line going into Monday Night Football. Joe Burrow banged up. That offense not looking great. Thoughts on Rams-Bengals tonight? Offense not looking great, and the Rams doing an amazing job, and the Seahawks fans saw that. Pick, 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 picking their way down yeah. the field on little passes and little runs. They're like, darn it, they're in the red zone again. Ah. They lead the NFL in like plays per drive and yards per drive. They are just grinding out five, six yards at a time. And you can do that against the Bengals because in addition to Burrow being in some, we don't know what his ankle situation really is, they're not tackling well on defense. They're not getting off the ball. Uh, getting getting off the field on third downs on defense, and that's contributing to their woes there. So I'm not ready to bury the Bengals yet because I feel like, you know, one quarter zone shot in the right place in Burrow's leg, and they're back to normal. But this is closer to the, than it appears, and I am interested in seeing how long the Rams can, can sustain this offense that's built around Matthew Stafford, a, a fifth-round rookie, and a guy named Tutu. I, I, I don't know how long they can really keep this up. Mike, you're the best, man. Thanks for doing this. Enjoy the games tonight. We'll do this again next Monday. Absolutely. Take care and enjoy your week. Yeah, you too. Thanks. That's Mike Tanier, our NFL insider from The Messenger here on the Halford & Brough Show on Sportsnet 650. So did the if, if you're asking the question, who's had the worst start to the NFL season, yeah. I guess you got to say the Jets with the expectations with – Aaron Rodgers and his injury, like four snaps in, but there are some contenders. Oh yeah, right. Like well, the Jets did win a football game, so there's that. They had that right. They, they, exactly. Moment. Well, they won that game. Yeah. In in like crazy Very fun dramatic, yeah. fashion. Um, but the Bears, the the Broncos, um, I mean, they, they, it's just not, even the, the Vikings, Vikings are terrible. The, but the Vikings, I think, the Vikings are probably reaching that point where they're like, okay. It's over for us. It just feels like right? a waste of a, a, like maybe the best receiver not named Tyree Kill in the NFL and Justin Jefferson feels like he's a, he's an amazing player. Yeah. And I it's, he, how many years are you going to waste of the guy mm-hmm. watching Kirk Cousins is, and by the way, Cousins numbers this year are fantastic. Like he's racked up touchdown passes and yards, but they're zero and three. And the end of the game yesterday, for those that didn't see it, and we joked about this with Mike, that he actually said like our home crowd was too loud. And then it turned out 
that the reason the home crowd was so loud was because they were all yelling at the top of their lungs, spike the ball, stop the clock. <laughs> what? We know, we know what to do in this situation. Why don't you? So that's an embarrassment for a Vikings team that really should have won that game. So in the NFC, yeah. how many teams are you convinced are better than the Seahawks? Because for me, I think it's only three. The 49ers. The Philly. E- the Eagles. And oh, actually, you know, Dallas. I I, I think Dallas is. Well, if you were to give me God, da- they just lost Arizona. If you were to give me Dallas against Seattle right now, I'd put Dallas as a. I put Dallas Where's the a, game. Neutral, neutral Seattle, site. Let's say neutral site. Neutral site. Dallas da- would be a three to six point favorite. Yeah, I think so three too. to seven point favorite. Yeah, not seven. Not seven. Uh, that like I that I feel like that loss against Arizona was a bit of an aberration. That defense is maybe, very good. That maybe, but very did good. you see the pick that Dak threw? Yeah, but that was a classic trap game because they gave up 28 points to the, the Cardinals. Mm-hmm. Like, their defense just took a day off. I, I, that's what sure. I'm convinced yeah, of. Yeah. That defense is so good. Although, now that they've got the injury to Diggs in the secondary, they're not as dynamic a defense as they were. Like the funny, say that. The funny thing is, people are like, so bruff, you think the Seahawks are the third best team in the NFC. No. no, not really. I just think they're in that very, very mushy group below the 49ers, who to me are like heads and tails I, at the top of the conference. And then you've got the Eagles, and then you've got the Cowboys, and then you've got like a bunch of teams. Like I don't you know, I know the I Seahawks beat Detroit, right, but I'm not convinced. I'm not convinced that the Seahawks are necessarily a better team than Detroit. They beat them in overtime. Yeah, it was on the road and it was in Detroit, but it's they're tight. That's a two comparable teams in terms of the NFC power rankings and pecking order. I don't know what to make of the Packers. I really don't. Um, it's it's early days for the Jordan Love era, mm-hmm. and there's certainly been some good returns. Well, that was an amazing comeback yesterday. It, it was. They deserve a ton of credit for that. But they, it wouldn't have happened if Derek Carr had gone out, right? But Jameis Winston. Uh-huh. <laughs> It was you got to you get credit for a comeback. I'll say that you got to put points on the board, right? And sure. they did it, and he looked really good in Week One as well. I just don't know, so I'm not ready to put them ahead of the Seahawks. The NFC South in general, I yeah, I don't know what to tell you about. Like the Panthers were not like that was not a great football team that came through Seattle yesterday. The Saints, especially, weren't great. They have a good defense, but if Carr's out, I don't see them being anything more than a 500 team. I think the Falcons and the and then Mike said it right now. He feels like the Buccaneers are going to get exposed tonight against the Eagles. Like, this is going to be the mm-hmm. the welcome to I reality I hope they don't. Moment. I'm cheering for Baker Mayfield. I'd like to see him make this more interesting by yeah. winning football games and keeping them competitive. I do wonder if they're going to run into an absolute buzzsaw tonight, and I think that they might. So the Seahawks play at the New York Giants right. on Monday night, um, and the Seahawks are dealing with a bunch of injuries. So I think I know the Giants have... <laughs> That's bad games to start the season. Uh, but I think that's going to be a tough one for the Seahawks to win. And then they've got the bye week in week five. And frankly, I'm really glad that they've got the bye week so early in the season because they need to get healthy. Yeah. They're banged up. If they can, if they, after, after losing to the Rams in week one and looking just awful, um, if they can go into the bye week at three and one, I'm super happy with the Seahawks. Team. I will also be disappointed that they're not 4 0. Because that Rams game is going to stick out like a sore thumb. Seriously, I, I, that Rams game in retrospect is just a complete egg. I I love I love being a Seahawks fan because I am totally unreasonable. I am totally emotional. 
from minute to minute, I go from like being super happy to super to like super angry. Yeah, it's because and it's because the NFL there's only 17 games. Yeah, no every every game is like, an Canucks event. games you can shake off. You're like ah, there's 81 other games. Yeah, we lost 10 nothing. Who cares? <laughs> <laughs> well, it was a preseason. Yeah, yeah exactly. But uh, the NFL season just it 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 encourages this like week to week crazy reaction and i am totally here for it if they go 3 and 1 though into the bye like that's a total success that's awesome that has to be that's awesome with a terrible performance yeah, in week 1 yeah. exactly but you you walk away if being in the season you said honestly, what I call a, Dubai. you guys are what i call a loser mentality you take it <laughs> yeah. or no hey i'll uh, yeah i i well that's what i am a loser uh honestly after week 1 against the rams i would have if you would have said you can go two and two into the bye week. I'd be like, I'll take that. You were low after week one. Actually, I was kind of I low, was low after week one, too, so I I'm not going to lie. Uh, the show will get higher. That's because, on the other side, Dan Murphy, Sportsnet's very own, is going to make his season debut on the Halford and Bruff Show, and what a way to do it. A nail-biter last night from the Canucks. 10 nothing in Calgary. We'll talk to Murph about that. Training camp in Victoria, what the season has in store. He's working with a new crew, DT, Ray Ferraro, Shorty, and the gang. So Dan Murphy coming up next on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650.